Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Rebecca Holburton wanted Bill gone. He lived in her house, spent her money, and barely showed any affection. Before she could kick him out, he needed to repay the tens of thousands of dollars that he owed her. If he didn't, she would go to the police. Candace Walters stopped trusting Bill. She could no longer overlook his strange behavior or pretend to believe his far-fetched stories. No amount of love could make up for him taking every penny she had and showing no intent to repay her. While she prepared to leave him, she left a letter with a friend in case he hurt her. Angela Fite hadn't heard from Bill in three weeks and was sick of his volatile behavior. She was sure he was keeping tabs on her. An intruder came into her house one day when she was at work. Whoever it was didn't take anything but left an empty can of soda in her kitchen and rearranged her shoes to let her know they were there. Suzanne Scott didn't believe Bill was who he said he was. Her roommate may have been under his spell, but she found him creepy. When he offered her a job paying more than she was making at the time, she decided to humor him and check if the offer was legitimate. In the days that followed, all four women were lured into Bill's homemade torture chamber. One would survive, but three would not. This is Monsters. William Lee Neal was born on October 7, 1955, in Virginia. From a young age, his family believed a light shone from within him. One of his sisters believed it developed because he was born during a storm. He had one brother and two sisters, and his mother didn't hide that he was her favorite child. The feeling was mutual. Bill adored his mother. His father was in the Air Force and soon moved the family to San Antonio, where Bill spent most of his childhood. Growing up, Bill wanted to either be an FBI agent or a minister. His father took him to the FBI's headquarters and he was mesmerized by the museum. He was named after a family pastor and his uncle was a minister. He loved the word of Jesus and liked Sunday school because he said he found people to be nicer on a Sunday. His father was a World War II veteran and retired when Bill was nine years old. Retirement was challenging and his drinking spiraled. 
He was quicker to discipline, often hitting Bill with his leather belt when he did something wrong. The humiliation of the beatings was nothing to how he felt when his father would make fun of him in front of other drunk people at the bars. He'd drag Bill along with him, and then the next day, when the alcohol had left his body, have no recollection of the night before. A change in Bill occurred when he was around 12 or 13 years old. The charming child, who was once everyone's friend, had faded. One day, a family friend asked him to put lotion on her legs. She was an older woman whose husband was in the middle of having an affair. Wanting revenge, she preyed upon Bill. She convinced him that his family would disown him if he told anyone what was happening. Even though he knew that he shouldn't, he enjoyed the sex. Afterwards, he felt filthy and was ridden with guilt. It was during this time that he began to molest a younger girl. Bill showed a lack of remorse for those around him. Most of his relationships were based on how a person could benefit him, and he never seemed to connect with others. There were many occasions when he harmed animals. His family said he bit the head off of a hamster, but Bill contested the story. Supposedly, a hamster bit him when he was older and forced him to kill it as punishment. A pet cat attacked him and dug its teeth into his skin, so he grabbed a fork and pitchforked it, rationalizing that animals were often put to sleep for biting humans. One of his girlfriend's cats would attack his feet in the night while he was sleeping, and he threatened to kill it if it did it again. The next time it grabbed his feet, he reached for his nunchucks and beat the cat to death. He told his girlfriend to clean up the blood that had splattered all over the room while he went back to bed. After a puppy bit him, he punched his head with such force that he smashed the skull. It makes me wonder why all these animals wanted to bite Bill. Maybe they knew something that other people didn't. Bill's first known crime was when he was 10 years old, when he was caught shoplifting with some friends. The store's owner took them all into her office, where a security guard stood over them. She threatened to call their fathers, sending Bill into such a state of panic that he burst into tears. They promised never to steal again, and she let them go. Later, Bill would go as far as to insinuate that if she had just called his father rather than threatened to, his life could have taken a completely different path. Bill married four times, although he cheated on his wives with several girlfriends. He told people that he ended his first marriage after finding her in bed with another man, but even his family said this isn't true. He met his second wife, Karen Wilson, at an outdoor equipment store where she was the assistant manager. She was 23 years old and a tough, self-sufficient woman. In 1981, an endearing gentleman with piercing blue eyes and long blonde hair entered the store. Bill needed equipment for an upcoming hike, a topic that Karen knew very well. The pair spoke for an hour, sharing an instant connection. She didn't have the equipment he needed and sent him to a nearby store. She felt drawn to him after he left, deciding to give him a ride to the other store during her lunch break, but when she ran after him, he was already gone. She drove to the store on a whim, but he wasn't there. After hovering in the parking lot, a bus stopped and Bill climbed off. Karen wished him luck on his hike and said that he should visit the store when he returned to tell her how it went. When she got to work the next day, he was standing inside with a fresh haircut wearing a three-piece suit. He didn't go on his trip. He decided to take her out for lunch instead. 
even talking to her boss before she got there to ensure that her lunch break was extended from 30 minutes to an hour. He drove a Subaru with all-wheel drive and took her to a country estate. A picnic was already spread out on the grass when they got there. At the bottom of the picnic basket was a silver necklace with a pendant of her store's logo on it, Hudson Bay Outfitters. That was it for Karen. She knew that he was the one before they'd even kissed. But the situation wasn't as simple as Bill might have thought. She was already in a relationship with an abusive partner. Bill wasn't discouraged when he found out about this. Instead, he encouraged her to leave her partner and be with him. He convinced her to move back to her parents' house in Virginia, where she would be safe. At first, her parents liked him. He presented himself as a gentleman who looked after their daughter and loved to surprise her. The couple dated for three years, although it was on and off again. Bill would abruptly go missing without any communication for months at a time. The absences destroyed Karen and made her relief when he returned even more intense. His behavior could be unsettling. If they were walking in public and he saw a woman wearing a tight dress or short skirt, he'd whisper, slut, under his breath so that only Karen could hear. She asked him to stop, but he never did. When they first started dating, he told her he lived with a woman, but that their relationship was platonic. Yet, when she visited him at his apartment, he hid her when he thought his roommate was leaving the building. Bill wanted to know all of her sexual fantasies and would question her, wondering if she'd ever wanted to have sex with two men or another woman. They were things she might have thought about in the past, but she wasn't interested in acting on them. On a romantic getaway to a mountain lodge, Bill announced that he had arranged for her fantasy to come true. During the original conversation, she joked that if she did have sex with another man, he would have to have green eyes and dark hair, the opposite of Bill's features. Either Bill didn't notice or didn't care that she wasn't being serious, and in the room next door was a man that met her description, waiting for her. He'd already given Karen marijuana, cocaine, and some champagne, and made her put on a negligee. She started to feel hazy, but quickly snapped out of it when he told her his plan. She scolded him as she got dressed so that she could leave. The phone rang, and Bill answered it. It was the man next door, but Bill said no before slamming down the receiver. Supposedly, he was testing her and said he would have broken up with her if she agreed to the deal. Out of nowhere, he was offered a job in Houston and wanted her to go with him. It was a big move for Karen, who would be leaving behind her friends and family. Once there, he made sure she didn't tell the leasing agent of their new apartment that they were together. She found work quickly, and then learned that he had lied about having a job lined up. Without the influencer support of her friends and family to talk her out of it, she married him at the courthouse ten days later. His second test was the night of the wedding when he decided they'd play a game where they shared their deepest, darkest secrets. He admitted he'd been intimate with men, but cared more about the secrets she had to share. He asked if she ever slept with a married man, and she said yes, but she was deeply embarrassed and remorseful about it. Without warning, he lunged at her, wrestling her to the ground while clutching his hands around her neck. This wasn't the bill that she knew. He sometimes got into fights with men and was a black belt in karate, but he wasn't violent, not with her, until that night when he called her a whore and a liar. 
he made sure that she knew that she invoked such a strong reaction because she'd done something so unethical. If she hadn't pushed him like that, he would have never hurt her. At least, that's what he told her. The only thing she could do to fix the situation was to call the married man's wife. She had to confess to what she had done and apologize. After seeing such a nasty side to her new husband, she was too frightened to disobey his orders. And after the phone call, Bill returned to the gentle and kind man she loved. They didn't have much money, but Bill splurged on a ten-day honeymoon in a cabin near a lake. He wanted to play another game and pressured her to tell him more about her sexual history, explaining that they needed to be open for their relationship to work. She obeyed, and when he asked a question about one of her sexual encounters, her honest answer filled him with rage. He threw her against the wall, again putting his hands around her neck. She wiggled out of his grasp and raced into the living room, hiding behind the couch. He searched the room, calling for her with a gravelly, angry voice. When he couldn't find her, he went outside for a cigarette. She calmed herself and waited, hoping the fresh air would help. He came back inside like nothing had happened. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. She learned that even the slightest misstep would be enough to set him off. Those missteps included coming home a few minutes late from work or speaking to another man in public. He'd smack her across the face or squeeze her arm so hard that it bruised. Their sex life became more intense, with less of a focus on her enjoyment and more on satisfying Bill's dominant side. He was trying to program her into thinking the pain was good as he pushed more aggressive means of pleasure. He decided he'd had enough of Texas and proposed they travel up the East Coast to determine where they wanted to live next. The move could be the reset their relationship needed, although Bill made Karen re-baptize before they left as he felt her soul needed to be cleansed. They settled in Tennessee, but a few months later, Bill's mother called and asked him to return to Texas to help her get her house ready to sell. He was supposed to be gone for three weeks, but those three weeks came and went. When Karen asked when he would be back, he told her his mother's house wasn't ready yet. He'd become distant, and she was worried that something was wrong. She called his mother to check on him, who said there was nothing to worry about. Somehow, Bill was aware of everything that she was doing. He knew when she came home from work and would call her right after she walked through the door, demanding to know who she'd been with and where she'd gone. Eight months later, he returned to give her a seven-page letter listing all of her faults, using it to justify wanting a divorce. He left again after two weeks. Karen spoke to her neighbor, telling her that she was going to get a divorce. The neighbor produced a notepad with thorough details about Karen, with the time she left for work and returned, which she'd said she'd been keeping at Bill's request. Creepy. Then, Bill abruptly came back home, telling Karen how much he loved her and that they had to make it work. 
She agreed to give it one more shot, but days later he sold everything they owned, which was more her things than his. All that was left were a few items, clothing, a television, her backpack, and a tent. They were apparently going to have a fresh start in Colorado. The couple lived in a van for the rest of the fall. She worked, but he did nothing during the day. It didn't take long for him to try to end their relationship again, telling her on December 1st, 1985, that it wasn't working out and that she had until January 1st to find somewhere else to live. Their divorce was finalized before Christmas, and she was finally free of him. He called her in March of 1986 to apologize and admit that he was with another woman in Texas rather than at his mother's house. His problem, he informed her, was that he was sure she was perfect when he fell in love with her and he could no longer trust her when he learned she wasn't. Every now and then, he'd call, but she wanted nothing to do with him. He kept tabs on her, knowing details about her life even though they barely spoke. After her parents died, he knew she was about to inherit a lot of money, and he started calling again. He spun stories to lure her in, saying he owed the mob money, and they would come after him, but she never relented. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on. See CertaIreland.ie Bill's third wife was Karen Boxer, the partner of one of his employees. At first, he tried to teach his employee how to be a gentleman to his girlfriend, but it never worked. Karen broke up with him, but didn't start dating Bill for a few years. He would call her randomly just after he divorced Karen Wilson. Although they started dating, their relationship was not what she expected. He would be gone for long stretches of time and was extremely controlling. There was a bitterness to him. He claimed his first two wives were unfaithful to him, and he displayed signs of rage. During a fight, she told him to get out. He slammed her against the wall and wrapped his fingers around her neck. Despite this, they got married and moved around the country. Bill was never happy where he was. He always wanted to get away. While they were dating, he showered her with gifts. But after getting married, she didn't want him spending their money on such lavish things, which infuriated him. He had to find other ways to control her and was quick to push her against a wall or place his hand over her mouth and nose to smother her. Karen wanted to go to counseling to fix the marriage, but he was too worried about what she would say about him. The day they separated, he contacted the police department to tell them that she was suicidal. She told the police that she was fine but had to go to the hospital to be cleared by a counselor. He left with thousands of dollars of her money, wiping out some of her savings and putting almost $10,000 in debt on her credit cards. She never got the money back, but was finally free of him. Bill's fourth wife was 18-year-old Jennifer Tate. She worked at a strip club where he was a regular. Many of the dancers were lured by his charm and generous tips. He set his eyes on Jennifer and, on her birthday, handed her $1,000 and asked her on a date. 
She had a strict policy against dating customers, but this man was different. He didn't seem to want her just for sex. Her dream was to find a partner, have their own home, and raise children in a stable and loving environment. By the end of their first date, she was sure that she had met someone that would help her achieve those dreams. After a few more dates, they started living together. Bill's entire demeanor changed when they found out she was pregnant. He became possessive and jealous. He had found a list of boys she had slept with in high school, people she hadn't spoken to in years, and interrogated her about them. They went to his office, where he chastised her for causing him so much pain because he was molested when he was young, although the connection seemed forced. Tears ran down her cheeks, but rather than soften, he threatened her, telling her she had no clue how evil he could be. They went home, but she never saw her diaries or yearbooks again. He took her to his office when he needed to reprimand her. Her actions were closely monitored, but Bill could do whatever he pleased. He denied being unfaithful, but she knew he saw other dancers. Anytime she tried to confront him, he'd kick her out, forcing her to move home with her mother. Sometimes, she waited weeks for him to call her and tell her she could come back. She had to follow his rules. She couldn't question him if he went out at night, had to leave him alone if he was at work, and couldn't go anywhere unless Bill or one of his sisters were with her. They married when she was five months pregnant, but things didn't get better. He kicked her out when she was nine months pregnant. Despite not living with her, he knew everything about where she was and what she was doing. Someone was always watching her, whether it was Bill or one of his friends. She broke one of his biggest rules when she called while he was at work to say she was going into labor. Rather than go to the hospital, he scolded her for interrupting him while working. When he showed up at the hospital, she hadn't given birth yet, so he went to a bar instead. In the morning, after his daughter was born, he drove Jennifer and the baby home, but then disappeared. The baby gave Bill leverage over Jennifer. Now, if she didn't do as she was told, he could threaten to take their daughter away. No matter what she did, he accused her of seeing other men. She went out with a friend one evening without her daughter, which was a rarity. She left her with Bill, who gave her a bath and put her to bed. The child loved bath time, but when Jennifer tried to give her a bath the next day, she fought, screaming and crying, suddenly terrified of it. Bill had to be involved in the intense fear the little girl developed. After mentioning the incident to one of his sisters, Jennifer found out that he was a suspect in a case of a little girl that was abducted, raped, and killed. His sister didn't tell her about Bill molesting a girl when he was young, but warned Jennifer against letting him be alone with a child. Around Thanksgiving of 1994, he abandoned his family for three days. Jennifer wasn't allowed to leave the apartment alone, and they ran out of diapers and food. He called her in the middle of the night, and Jennifer heard a woman's voice in the background. She yelled at him to remember to wear a condom. Nobody spoke to Bill like that, especially not her. He got in his car and raced home. She called the police for protection while she packed her things. When he arrived, officers wouldn't let him near her. He refused to let her take a car, hoping it would stop her, but the police called a cab instead. Bill's mother was supposed to travel from Texas for Thanksgiving to meet his wife and daughter. 
He coerced Jennifer into coming home for the day and told her they had to act like nothing was wrong. In stark contrast to her son, his mother was warm and kind. While she fussed over her granddaughter, Bill's sister, Sharon, needed to talk to Jennifer. They went to the basement away from everyone else, so Sharon could tell her to be a better wife. He would make her pay if she argued with his family, so she said nothing. When the guests left, they were able to stop pretending to be in a happy relationship, and he took her back to her mother's house. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jennifer briefly moved back in with him in May of 1995, but when a woman came to the door that was clearly one of his lovers, she packed her things for good. The child tied them together, although he rarely bothered with her. Their divorce was finalized just before her third birthday. He barely spent time with them, but when they were in public, he played the role of the doting, loving father that Jennifer wished he was. After the divorce, Bill was strapped for cash and turned to his second wife, Karen Wilson. He called her to ask for help and implied that the two of them could even get back together now that he was single. She refused to give him anything. She didn't think she'd hear from him again, and when his sister called her years later in July of 1998, she thought the call was to say that Bill was dead. She was wrong. He was alive, but he'd just killed three women. Rebecca Holburton was at a party when her friend insisted that she meet a quote-unquote cowboy who would be attending. A man with a deep voice and a western twang introduced himself to her as Cody, which Bill preferred to be called. Before the 42-year-old woman met Bill, her life was pretty ordinary. She was well-liked at work and divorced from Rodney Holburton, an airline pilot. Her world became much more exciting when she met Bill, at least for a while. He presented as a kind man who was a good listener. Whenever he spoke about his mother, he became tearful. He was sensitive and loved his daughter, who he was trying to get custody of from her quote-unquote unfit mother. In reality, he had no interest in even seeing his daughter, let alone getting custody of her. She wasn't entirely sure how he made money. He sometimes painted houses, but explained that most of his money was stuck in a trust fund that he needed to have released to him. In the meantime, he asked her to help him out financially. He moved in with her shortly after she purchased her own townhouse. The excitement of the relationship didn't last, and the pair grew apart. They were more like roommates than partners, not even having sex anymore. He was no longer devoted to her like he was when they first met, and she was sure he was seeing other women. When Rebecca got a new job, she saw it as a clean slate and her chance to start over. She wanted Bill out of her life, but she needed her money back before she could do that. Over the two years of their relationship, Rebecca had loaned Bill more than $60,000, most of which she borrowed against credit. Some money was supposed to go towards the custody battle that seemed never-ending, and a portion of it was to invest in business ventures that he claimed would make them rich once they gained interest. 
When he finally had access to the trust fund, he promised he'd pay her back, with interest, but that day was starting to seem like it would never come. It seemed like he was never going to pay her back, and she threatened to go to the police if he didn't give her her money. He suddenly announced that the courts would release his trust fund and he'd be able to pay her everything he owed. As a treat for her patience, he announced that he would take her to Las Vegas for an all-expense-paid vacation. The next morning, he awoke early to run errands. He went to a local supply store to grab a few things. His large footlocker and new circular saw were at the house, but he needed more supplies. He bought lava soap, forged large eye bolts, nylon rope, and duct tape. His most significant and deliberate purchase was a maul, which was like a sledgehammer which had one end sharpened into an axe. Once he was home, he asked Rebecca if she was ready for her surprise. Oddly, he placed a chair on the living room floor facing the glass door leading to the backyard. She sat in it, and he put a heavy suitcase on her lap. It must have been filled with tens of thousands of dollars since it was so heavy. What she couldn't see was that it was just loaded with newspapers. Bill grabbed a bottle of champagne from the kitchen and popped the cork. After pouring two glasses, he toasted to their new fortunes and life together. He put down his glass and grabbed a blanket he intended to put over her head. She protested, not wanting to ruin her hair, but gave in after he insisted. Once it was over her head, he went to the garage to get something. When he returned, she was still sitting with her face covered, and he had the maul in his hand. Rebecca sat there, completely unaware, as Bill swung the weapon towards the center of her head and smashed it into her skull. Blood splattered everywhere as he hit her repeatedly. While she died quickly, defensive marks were found on her hands, making investigators believe that she put her hands to her head after the first blow. He put them all away in the hallway closet and removed the blanket from her head, placing it in a plastic bag. He wrapped her arms and legs with rope, then placed her body inside plastic lawn bags that he duct-taped around her body. Candace Walters met Bill a few days after Christmas while bartending at a hotel, where he quickly became a regular. He told her the same story that he told Rebecca, claiming that he was fighting for custody of his young daughter. Candace was close to her daughter, Holly, and couldn't imagine having her taken away. When Candace started dating Bill, the relationship moved alarmingly quickly. Suddenly, Bill consumed Candace's world, and if they weren't together in person, they were talking on the phone. Candace told Holly that he was in real estate after retiring from being a bounty hunter and had $50 million in Hawaiian real estate. Holly was weary of him and found his stories too far-fetched. His finances were a complicated matter, though. He said a judge froze his trust fund account in Nevada because of the custody battle for his daughter. It didn't take long for him to claim to have money problems, and he borrowed $1,500 from her. He instructed her to give it to him in $1 bills in bundles of 20 Holly didn't understand why he kept borrowing money from her mother. Candace explained that Bill's ex-wife was a greedy stripper that wouldn't release custody of their daughter to him until she had $300,000. His money was tied up in a trust fund, but would be available soon. However, Candace was doubting the relationship too. 
He'd taken most of her money, and when she confronted him about repaying her, he made it seem like he wouldn't give her the money back even after getting access to his trust fund. Apparently, he'd have to be careful as other people would want to get their hands on it. Holly and Candace tried to find information about a William Neal that lived in Nevada, but the number that directory assistance gave them went to a different person. But Candace wasn't ready to give up on him yet. The money was taking longer than expected, and he asked if Holly could give him a job at her company. When Holly met Bill, he seemed friendly and knowledgeable about the real estate industry where Holly worked. He showed her a photo of his daughter and explained the custody situation while fighting through tears. She gave him a job as an independent contractor where he used her office and company resources but split commissions with them. Despite a strong start, he claimed to be too ill to work two weeks later. He said he'd developed a bad cough and seemed worn out. Holly took the information about the truck he drove and found it was registered to a Rebecca Holburton. Eventually, he called Candace to tell her the funds were available, and since she'd waited so long, he had some surprises for her, including a trip to Las Vegas. He would pay her back and give her an additional $100,000 for keeping his secrets. The promises became more extravagant. He said he bought them both one-way tickets to Las Vegas, and when they arrived, there would be brand new Toyota 4Runners waiting for them. She could pick which one she wanted and drive it back to Colorado. And it wouldn't be just $100,000 she got. It would be $2.5 million. $1 million of the money would be in cash and the rest would be wired into her bank account. All of the plans excited her, but she felt it was all too good to be true. They left for Las Vegas on July 3rd, a day before Holly would leave for a business trip to Missouri. Bill told Candace to sell her clothes and wardrobe. She wouldn't need them anymore, but she was disappointed to sell her Toyota sedan. She really loved it, having worked hard to pay it off. Then he drove her to his townhouse. It was a mess, with dirty dishes and remnants of food on every surface. He led her to the kitchen chair that stood in the middle of a room and placed a suitcase on her lap. It was supposed to be the cash he promised and was heavy enough that she believed him. He wanted to put a blanket over her head, but it would ruin her hair. As a compromise, she promised to close her eyes. There she sat, in a white sundress, with her eyes closed, maybe finding the scenario a little bit odd, but trusting the man she loved. Would Candace open her eyes to a million dollars in cash? Would all of her dreams come true? Most of you already know the answer, but I'm not going to tell you until tomorrow. Part 2 will be posted at midnight tomorrow. See you then. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States.
They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. There's nothing like getting a card or parcel in the post. So send from the heart and get 20 Christmas stamps for just €20 from onpost.com or your local post office. And don't forget, the last day for posting letters and cards to Europe is Monday, December 19th. On Post, for your world. For more information, see onpost.com slash Christmas. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.